Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that are organized to beat the devil and to produce disciples of Jesus Christ, who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes. I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. And I'm Steve Manskar, Director of Wesleyan Leadership at Discipleship Ministries. And I really like that line you just added to your intro. Yeah, I meant, to, I meant to include it on the other intros and I forgot. And so this time I made sure to write it down. That's that's how I remember things, to write things down. So, yep, organized to beat the devil, right? That's what we're in business for. Yep, that's good stuff. Good stuff. All right, well, let's jump into it. So today's podcast, we're going to explore the essential elements of a small group. And this is sort of a, it could be any small group. It doesn't, doesn't have to be a particular kind of small group, but elements that are needed for a small group to really thrive and to, yeah. um, to not just exist and not just say, hey, check mark, we got small groups, but how do we make them thrive? What are the core elements that are needed to make sure these groups are, are doing um, doing good work? So that's what we're going to jump into Today, and we're going to begin by listing two means of grace. The first is prayer, right? Pretty obvious, I think, right? That if, if you're having a small group connected to a United Methodist Church, there ought to be prayer involved. And I'll, I'll say a quick word, and I'll let you say a quick word as well about what we mean by that, right? I think too often we talk about prayer, at least what, at least what I've seen is in small groups, my experience has been they find the person who is the most pastoral or the leader, and it's like your job, you pray, yeah. right? And and it's the thing I've seen adults like to do least, at least most adults, is pray aloud in a group. It's like major fear time. They'd rather go bungee jumping. Don't make me pray aloud, right? And so I have this really short definition. I, just, I didn't create this definition. Someone gave it to me. That has always worked w- really well is Prayer is intentionally being in the presence of God. And I, and I like that definition because it's not necessarily about words. Mm-hmm. And just simply being the, in, being intentional before the presence of God, that's that's prayer, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I use that and, and also try and rotate who prays in a group, right? Give everyone a chance, even those who are afraid. And uh, once people do, take that initiative and they pray, no matter how bad or short it is, just profusely thank them. <laughs> Tell them what a great job they did and just give them encouragement, right? Because yeah. that can be a huge step for some people is praying aloud in a group um, and giving people the opportunity. And to me, I've always seen maturity happen that once they do that, it's like this huge hurdle. And they, they sort of have a better confidence. Yeah. So that's my two cents about prayer. What would you say about prayer in a small group? Well, what I, what I was thinking, just listening to your, yeah. that prayer doesn't always have to be extemporaneous either. Very well, very well said, yeah. And a way of helping people who are uncomfortable mm. offering extemporaneous prayer would be to make written prayers available to them. Yeah, that's good. And we have a multitude of prayers mm-hmm. in print. Yeah. There's... Lots of beautiful prayers in the United Methodist hymnal as a starter. Yep. Um, in the Disciples Journal. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, that's a good. Excuse one. me, my yeah. voice is. Um, <laughs> it's that time of year, I yeah. guess. Um, there's a prayer for each week in the Disciples Journal that's yep. based on scripture for yep. that week. 
The Book of Common Prayer yep. is full of uh, prayers called collects that yeah. are, you could find those that are very appropriate for use in small groups. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of sources that you can make available to people um, to read prayer. Yeah, that's in good. In the group. Yeah. And that's, a, I think, a helpful way of helping people then become comfortable with extemporaneous prayer. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, we don't, and particularly if you're praying prayers from the Book of Common Prayer, you're praying ancient prayers from mm. the tradition of the church. Yeah. And, and that's a very Wesleyan practice. Mm. Yeah. You know, Wesley certainly encouraged extemp and practiced extemporaneous prayer in, yeah. in the class meetings and in the society meetings, but he also included the prayers of the church. Yeah. Um, that were found mostly from the Book of Common Prayer, but also there's prayer in Scripture. True. You know, the Psalms. Psalms. Yeah. Paul has prayers yeah. in his letters that could be used in the small group. And yeah. So there's lots of different sources for for grounding for prayer for prayer that are part of the small group time. Yeah, and that's really helpful because I know for me, and maybe it was just my background, I had this bias. And the bias was real spiritual leaders pray extemporaneously, right? And that, that, was a, that wasn't true, right? But that was something in my mind that I had sort of settled on was, you know, real Christian leaders, they pray extemporaneously. And I've had to overcome that and, and learn <laughs> that's not always true. <laughs> uh, sometimes those ancient prayers do a much better job. Real Christian leaders do both. Well, there you go. No, I think you're right. Like I said, that's just... Yeah. I think that was a, a time where I wasn't quite as mature as I am now, right? And it's helpful. Probably had a full be, head of hair. <laughs> I think Christian leaders are steeped in the prayers of the church. Yeah. When I think of like how really good painters, or I'm a photographer, like, you know, you learn by looking at others. Right. Right. And so I think that's true with prayer too. So, yeah. so pray. That, that's certainly the pray. first one we would say uh, for a small group. The, the second would be searching the scripture. Um, just from, from Matthew twenty two thirty seven, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and with all your mind. That, that we need to take time to hear from God's Word and, and do some discerning work together of what God is, is teaching us. And so searching the Scripture ought to be a core element of, of our small group time. What would you like to add to that? Well, and it could also be part of the prayer time. You could do a, yep. a Lectio Divina. Yep. Which is praying with scripture. Yep. And, you know, reading a passage of scripture and then sitting with it and praying with it for yeah. a few minutes. I think I've mentioned before too the visual faith cards. We've we've used yeah. those. That those are a way of um, bringing some imagination to what we're seeing in scripture and and to begin to to hear for what what God is doing within us. Um, I think sometimes too often searching the scripture becomes synonymous with following a curriculum. And you know, here at small groups in the Wesleyan way, we're all about going beyond cur curriculum, right? That it, um, we shouldn't let curriculum uh, hinder us, right? That if the, the Spirit of God is doing something, we should be able to, to follow that. And so uh, searching the Scripture is work of discernment. And that may be, for some small groups, that's a large part of the time. And for some small groups, that may not be as large as part of the time, but it should be in there. And I, I, I'm just going to keep plugging this that because it's 
the a Disciples Journal, yeah, absolutely, is, which has a daily lectionary in it mm-hmm. with two lessons, Old Testament, New Testament, for each day of the week, and a psalm is a can be a useful resource yeah. for in, incorporating scripture mm-hmm. into small group meetings. I think it also develops the the habit of doing devotions personally, so that there's, there's yeah. sort of that match between what I'm doing in my devotion and what's happening in the small group. Mm-hmm. Right. I know. I know. In my particular small group, we've been reading through Matthew, so we read that alone. But then we bring those questions together, mm-hmm. and in our our time's really simple. We ask just a few questions. I may have mentioned this before. Um, what does the scripture say about God? What does the scripture say about us? What does this scripture tell us about our relationship with God? And then what is the scripture calling us to be or to do? Not novel to me. From disciple Bible study. Yeah, I think Dick Murray was the one who... <laughs> That's a theological Bible study. That's what that is. It is. It is. Yeah. But but I, I think I, I like adding that last question. What is the passage calling us to be or to do? Yeah. Right? Because then we've got to do some reflection work of we're not just talking about what it means. <laughs> Right, not just objectively, but subjectively. What is it calling us to do? What yeah. is God calling us to do? In, yeah. Or I think another way of putting that is what what is God up to in this scripture for us today? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's yeah. a little simpler. I might, I might have to steal that. I might have to <laughs> to use that language. That may may feel a little more comfortable for some folks in my group. So yeah, that's helpful for me. Um, so we can say more there, but we'll move on. Um, the next big thing that that I would say uh, is a group needs a covenant. A group needs a covenant, and then the question becomes, well, what needs to be in the covenant, All right? And so there's at least a few things that I would say. I mean, the first that I would say is expectations. I think this is really helpful for adults is to know what is it they're getting into, right? If, if the expectations is you're going to lay down every sin that you've had that week, <laughs> right? You're probably going to scare some folks off. Maybe, you know, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Um, but lay down, what are the expectations for attendance? Like how often are we meeting? Um, I would also include things that may seem overly simplistic, um, but don't take anything for granted. Help help adults know this is what's going to be the expectation. We expect you to be present, uh, to be fully present. Uh, sometimes that means talking. Sometimes that means listening. Um so that, that's one of the things I would say. Another would be confidentiality, right? Adults need to feel safe. And that's something that will just have to grow. I mean, just having it in a covenant isn't going to make everyone feel safe and become vulnerable. Um, but beginning that process of, of having that down. Um, how long will the class meet, right? Is it going to meet for an hour and a half, two hours? And then whatever that is, stick to it, right? Make sure they, they know their time. Start on time, end and, uh, on time. That's right. That's right. Um, even if you've got to cut somebody off, <laughs> we said this is our covenant. And it gives that objective basis where the leader doesn't have to be the rude jerk and say, all right, we're stopping now. Um, but to say, hey, remember, covenant is this. Um, also give the purpose. What is it we're trying to achieve here? Is this group about um, care, about study, about whatever? Be be, be intentional about your purpose. Um, some other things that we we noted um, some roles. Like what are the roles that need to happen within the group, right? They're facilitator, um, somebody who's some kind of leader, right? Whether that's tracking attendance, whether that's um, be a whole host of things uh, for a leader to do. Um, other responsibilities might be someone who's intentional about engaging in mission, 
mission work, finding mission work for the small group, uh, and then doing social activities. How are we going to be social together outside of this time? Mm-hmm. You know, that maybe once a quarter, a couple times a year. Uh, what else would you add, Steve, in terms of what a covenant might look like for a, a small group to include? Um, well, th- one thing that came to mind was that part of the covenant is that if we can't be mm. present, if we can't attend, yeah, that's say, important. That we know we're not going to be able to attend the next meeting to tell someone. Yeah, that's good. So that we know who's not going to be there, maybe why you're, you know, so we can you know, still be in prayer at least. Yeah. And that we know why that you're not going to be, that, you know, this person is not going to be able to, because there are going to be times when not everybody's going to be able to attend. But Absolutely. It's just, I think it's just courtesy yeah. to the group to let people know that you're not going to be there. So we're not saying, well, where's, where's Scott this week? Did anybody hear from him? Yeah. You know, that, that's just, you know, be helpful for the group just to, Contact either whoever the leader is or someone yeah. in the group to let you know that, hey, I can't be there this week. I've got to be out of town or I'm sick. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, I think there's I've got a child who's sick and I, you know, I can't, you know, yeah. I've got to be here. Yeah. I think you're right. There, there's the courtesy factor. I think there's also the logistics factor, right? What if that means there's a change in um, babysitting? Right. And as you said, to the pastoral care issue, well, gee, Steve, Steve seems to be sick every Sunday night when we were supposed to meet. Um, we, we should be praying for him and reaching out to him. Um, and that may bring up another topic as well that may need to be part of the covenant is um, what are the expectations in terms of finances? Like, are we paying for the books for our study? Um, you know, that may be something just to have a conversation about. But just just so people know. Well, and just course, if we want to be Wesleyan. Yeah. Maybe every time you meet, make some kind of a contribution that would be given to uh, an agency or an organization or a part of the church that serves the poor in your neighborhood or your community. Yeah. Yeah, that would be very Wesleyan. I like that. I like that. All right. So that's that's covenant. That's the third thing. Uh, The fourth thing, um, I'm going to kind of skip down our list here, leader training. This, this may not be something that you immediately think of, but I think for a, for small groups to really thrive, one of the things we would suggest, I don't know if suggest is even the right word, almost require, is um, training for leaders, right? To make sure leaders have proper training. They know what their expectation, they know their roles, um, leader training. I've got some more things. What, what do you want to say about leader training? Well, I think it would be very helpful for the pastor or pastoral, the staff person mm-hmm. responsible for small groups to identify people with leadership gifts. Yeah. Some, and what, what I mean by that are some demonstrated Christian maturity. Not necessarily synonymous with all the knowledge. Right. Yeah. But somewhat... A, a seasoned disciple. There you go. Who is mature in their faith, who is comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. Who doesn't feel compelled to be the smartest guy in the room or smartest woman in the room, yeah. but has a heart for people yep. and for Christ and for following Christ. To then equip them with, if they're willing to serve in a leadership, you know, to lead a small group, then equipping them with just some basics about group dynamic. Yep. 
you know, making sure that you're, you're facilitating, that everyone is participating in the group, that no yeah. one is left out. Yep. And that, that requires some training to be conscious of what's going on in the room yep. and the various personality types that are in the room. Sure. And introverts being, versus being, extroverts. Being aware of that. And that, you know, like if, like, you know, speaking of introversion, extra, if you've got a, an introvert, someone like me in the room yeah. who is <laughs> frankly needs encouragement to speak up in yeah. a group, yeah. you know, I, I typically will wait until I'm invited to speak rather than just start spouting off. Yeah, and there's a uh, fine line between inviting you to speak and I want to say something more than prompting you to speak, but sort of forcing you to speak. Right. Right. I've been in groups where, Scott, you hadn't said anything. Say something. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, I'm still processing, so don't don't force. But I think you're right. I think there is um, a skill to being able to say, you know, Steve, we haven't heard from you in a while. Is there, Are you ready to talk? You know, are you ready to say something right. yet? I mean, I think, you know, knowing that is a skill that leaders need, facilitators need. Yeah, it's a good and, one. And I think another skill that leaders need to be taught is to be comfortable with silence. That's a good one. That's a real good one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a real good one. Because most, most will, uh, it becomes uncomfortable, so they say something. Um, and and th- along with that is, well, being comfortable with silence and asking questions, not having to fill that's up. A good one fill up the whole time with words. That's right. And, and I think that's a, that points out another one that I hadn't thought of, and that is the, the skill of asking the right sorts of questions. Yeah. Right. And there's a skill of knowing, am I asking a question that's simply about information versus a skill versus a question that's about reflection? Because if I ask a, a question about information, hey, what's the capital of Tennessee? Right. You gotta, it's either you know it or you don't. Right. But if I ask, how does the scripture apply to your life? <laughs> That's a reflective question, and you're gonna. That's a time for when you're you're gonna know ahead of time. I'm gonna leave some silence here. Mm-hmm. People need to process that question. So knowing little things like that, I think is is very helpful. Yeah. yeah. I think the only other thing I would add to to your list, and it's a good one. Uh, maybe, maybe two things. One is um, how to recognize emerging leaders. Yeah. Right. You know, make sure your leaders are intentional about looking for the next leaders. Right. I think that's that's important. Also, little things like um, uh, what to do when someone is the one who just won't stop talking. Yeah. Right. How to how to in a decent way to be able to say, hey, we we Steve, we've heard from you enough. <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> no, we we've we've heard from you. Oh, I'd like to hear from from others. Let's let's give some space for some others. And that that takes some delicate phrasing of words. But if mm-hmm. you can sort of help people sort of role play through that a couple of times, they become, as you said, comfortable in their skin. They can say it. It, it just happens in a group more naturally and yeah. we move on. It doesn't become a, dang it, Steve, stop. <laughs> <laughs> just stop talking. <laughs> Which becomes uncomfortable for everybody, right? A leader who's got some skill in that can just make that transition happen and people sort of notice it afterwards. Like, oh yeah, he did a really good job. Right. Or she did a good job of, of transitioning there. So... Leader training. And, and in addition to the training, that training needs to be ongoing. Yeah, that's true. That, and what I mean by that is once the person is trained and then leading a group, then I, I think it's very important that they meet with the leaders, mm-hmm. meet with the pastor or the staff person. Yeah. Um, maybe once a, at least once a quarter. Yeah. Just that's to good. check in. How's yep. it going? Yep. Are there any problems? 
that we need to know about that we can help you address. And then maybe offer some additional training yep. as it's as it emerges. Yep. I had another thought there, but I lost it. Maybe it'll come back to me. <laughs> yeah, that's really good, Steve. Really good. Um, all right, let's move on then to the next one, which I think is sort of a, a Wesleyan distinctive in terms of essential small group elements. And you can tell me if I'm right in that. And that is accountability, right? That, that small groups need to have some measure of accountability um, within the group. Am I right in that? And what do you mean by accountability? I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> um, so what I mean by that is just there is some form of check-in. There's some form of accountability to the covenant and to living a Christian life. So I mean it pretty broadly and generically. Mm-hmm. Um, is that Does that help? Am I, am I still on track? What do you think? Well, uh, yes. Okay, good, uh, good. Um, <laughs> Your look had me very well, I, worried. I like the way you put it here in your cheat sheet here. Okay. Um, the purpose of the, you know, your These are quotes the, by you. <laughs> to the class meeting <laughs> is to watch over one another in love. Well, the second one's a quote by you. Yeah, that's right. Um, so if part of the group's covenant is personal practice yeah. of the means of grace outside you know, that's stuff that we're not doing in the, when we meet. True. But that we are making a commitment to practicing, to developing habits of yeah, that's good. Um, works of piety, works of mercy. Um, if we have a rule of life that is, is intended to help us form habit, you know, habitually practicing the means yep. of grace. Yep then the accountability would be to check in with each other. How are you doing with that? Yep. And, you know, giving an account of how you, what you've done, what you've left undone. Yeah. And where you need some help. Um, is that what you mean by accountability? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. I think also that, that second quote, which I do think is a quote from you, stand against the trap of believing and living as though we are self-sufficient. Right? And I think that yeah. we can still live that even though even if we're in a small group. Right, but but actually being accountable to one another and saying, and maybe part of what I mean by this is just being intentional about vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. Making sure we have time where we're we're vulnerable with one another. Of, you know, I don't have it all together this week, or you know what, my prayer life hasn't been what what I want, and 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 creating that space to have that level of of accountability with one another, um, I think can be be important. So that that's kind of what I meant by that. So yeah, that's helpful. Um, all right, so next is pastoral care slash nurture. Um, and as we were talking about this beforehand, I think you're right to push me. What do you mean by that, right? <laughs> um, and I think what I, what I mean by that is, it, is that um, small groups ought to be places where we're taking care of one another. The way that I've heard this from other pastors is said is that the small group should beat the pastor to the hospital, right? That they ought to be intentionally nurturing one another. And they ought, you know, to me, one of the things that I would hope a small group would serve is if if I had a need or my wife had a need that we could go to our small group and they would be there for us. They would mm-hmm. they would make sure and do whatever they could in their power um, to do that. That that I I shouldn't look to the pastor pastoral staff to do that, but my small group who who knows me more intimately. That's where I would look. So that's what I mean by pastoral care. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. That okay. it's, and that's a, I think a, a, an important purpose and dynamic of small groups mm. is to care for one another. Yeah, and it also teaches, hopefully, helps the the members of the congregation, in particular the members of the group, understand that the pastoral care of the congregation isn't the sole work of the ordained, right. appointed clergy. Right. That pastoral work, that pastoral caring, is the work of the congregation. Mm. And we say as much in the baptismal covenant. True. And so, and in fact, I think it's often done more effectively mm. Than yeah, I would agree what with that. the pastor can do wholeheartedly. One, the pastor can't do it all. That's right, and shouldn't be expected to do it all. That's right. That's another reason why small groups are so important. That's right. Um, and and you're and you're right. Your your small group leader or member, some members of your small group, if if you're hospitalized or sick at home and need someone to cook meals for you, yeah. The people in your group should be the first ones to do that. Yep. Um, and probably would be. Yeah, I, I, would, I would think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's also a way we live into one of our beliefs, the doctrine of uh, the priesthood of all believers. Yeah. Right, that we, we believe we can do that for one another um, as well. And one of the things you mentioned. Um, and that, I think, also involves praying for one another. Oh, that's true, yeah. And praying for our families and praying for the church. Mm which is a form of pastoral care. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned uh, beforehand too was how this sort of lives out a little bit of the role of the class leader. Yes. Right, that's the, part the of their The class function. leader is a historic, you know, one way to describe the work of the class leader in the Methodist tradition is they were lay pastoral ministers. Mm. Um, they worked in partnership with the local preacher and and were the primary caregivers mm. of the people called Methodists. The, they were the, the class leader was the primary caregiver of the members of his or her class. So if a member of a class, you know, a Methodist was sick, okay, the first person knocking on their door was going to be their class leader, mm. not the minister or you know the the local preacher. Um, who's probably itinerating anyway. Right. Who, right. Because he's, he's not going to be around. And it would have been a he. Just <laughs> it would have been a he, <laughs> you know, he in the 18th time, yeah. century and yeah. the, much of the 19th century. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was the class leader that made Methodism work. Mm. And I think that role is so vital for today as well, where people are looking for belonging. Right, and you sort of mentioned this too in your travels. Wouldn't it be great just for someone to well, say? Yeah, and I, 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 in fact, I made a presentation last night to a, a church here in Nashville that is about to launch or in the process, the beginning process of um, equipping, training, and then commissioning class leaders to mm -hmm. serve in this congregation in Nashville. That I wish I had a class leader. Because, yeah. you know, in the church that I'm in, I'm a, I'm a member at West End United Methodist Church, which is a wonderful congregation. 
It's a big congregation. Yeah. I don't expect the pastor to miss me on Sunday morning <laughs> because she has thousands of people Pukus. that Pukus, she sees yeah. on Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, but if I had a class leader, yep. he or she would know that I've not been there for a month Yeah. and would be the person who would contact me yep. and say, you know, I've noticed you're not, I've not seen you for a while. Where, are you okay? <laughs> and I think that, you know, that simple step, a simple gesture would go a long way. Yes. For, yes. for most folks. I mean, I think that's what most folks want is just simply a community that cares enough to say. Someone who knows me yeah. and who takes the responsibility to be in touch with me. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, and I think that's where it's interesting as we were talking about this. The, you know, I could see the the role of accountability and pastoral care sort of overlapping, right? And I think that's yeah. that's important. Um, so, lastly, then is mission, right? And mission shouldn't just be a tack on, add on. Oh yeah, we should do some mission stuff every once in a while, but it should be pretty integral part of that. And I, I'm gonna sort of sum all this this part up is just by saying, hey, go back and listen to our prior episodes with. M. Scott Boren, right, where we yeah. talked about uh, missional small groups. Right. I don't know that I have much more to add other than, hey, go back and listen to those. Those are really, really good. Um, so I think that's it. I think that's that's all we've identified as our essentials of a small group. Anything mm-hmm. else you want to add, Steve? No, I think that's... Yeah, well, if, I don't if, have anything to add. If you, if you think of something that you think is really important and needs to be on our list, I hope you'll reach out to us. Uh, we want to be as interactive as possible, so connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, email. Uh, you can find our email addresses on our website, umcdiscipleship.org, and you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Rev Scott's Tweets and also at UMC Adult Form for adult formation. And I'm at S Manskar, at S M A N S K A R. So leave us a review when you get a chance on iTunes. That'd be very helpful for helping others to find this podcast. And we look forward to connecting with you. And until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.